Chapter 25 of Mildred at Rosens by Martha Finley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Amy. Chapter 25. Envy is but the smoke of low estate, ascending still against the fortunate. Lord Brooke. Mama, what's the matter? asked Adelaide Dinsmore. They were at the breakfast table. Mrs. Dinsmore was reading a letter from her husband, and Adelaide had been studying her face the while, noting the gathering frown upon the brow, the flushing of the cheek, the compression of the lips that spoke of increasing anger. Matter? I was never so provoked in my life, cried Mrs. Dinsmore, crushing the letter passionately in her hands, then tearing it into bits. The idea of bringing that child here, not merely for a visit, which would be bad enough, but to stay permanently. I don't know what your father can be thinking of. It seems it's not enough that I've been tormented with a stepson, but I must have a step... Step what, Mama? from all three of the little girls, as she broke off abruptly, leaving her sentence unfinished. Nonsense! Be quiet, will you? she answered angrily. They waited a moment for her passion to cool, then Adelaide began again. What child, Mama? Is Papa coming home and going to bring a child with him? Yes, your brother Horace's child. You may as well know what first is last, I suppose. Three pairs of eyes opened wide with amazement, three young voices crying out together. Brother Horace's child? Why, Mama, what can you mean? We didn't know he had any. We never even heard that he was married. Of course you didn't, said Mrs. Dinsmore, pushing away her plate. And probably you never would if this child hadn't been stubbornly determined to live, in spite of losing her mother before she was a week old. No, we were never proud of the match, and you kept the thing quiet. But now it will be a nine days' wonder to the neighborhood, and the whole story will have to come out. Then you might as well tell it to us, was Adelaide's sage rejoinder. Come, Mama, do. I'm dying of curiosity. It can be told in a few words, said Mrs. Dinsmore, in a tone of wearied impatience. Five years ago, Horace went on a visit to New Orleans, met an orphan girl of large fortune, fell in love with her, and persuaded her to marry him. The thing was clandestine, of course, for they were mere boy and girl. They lived together for two or three months, and her guardian, who had been away, came home, found it out, and was furious. He carried the girl off nobody knew where. Your father sent Horace north to college. And some months afterward, we heard that the girl was dead and had left a baby. She's four years old now. The garden is dead, and your father's bringing her home to live. There, I've given you the whole story, and don't intend to be bothered with any more questions. But, Mama, burst out the children, who had listened with breathless interest. You haven't told us her name or when they are coming. Her name is Elsie, and they will be here in about a week. They're not another question. I'm bored to death with the subject. Four years old? Why, she's just a baby, remarked Adelaide to her sisters. Let's go tell Mammy the news, and that she's going to have another baby to take care of. No, she's not, said Mrs. Dinsmore sharply. The child has a mammy of her own that's coming with her. What relation is she to us, Addie? asked Laura. Who, the black woman? None to me, I'm sure, laughed Adelaide. You know I didn't mean that, Laura retorted in a vexed tone. Why, we're aunts, exclaimed Louise. Now, isn't that funny? And Mama's a grandmother. That's funnier still, she added with a burst of laughter. Mrs. Dinsmore was in the act of leaving the room, but turned back to say wrathfully, No such thing. The child is not related to me in the least, so don't let me hear any more of that nonsense. Mama's mad, laughed Louise. Mad enough to shake me, I do believe. She doesn't like to be thought old enough to be a grandmother. Maybe she isn't, said Laura. Horace was a pretty big boy when Papa and Mama were married, wasn't he, Addie? I can't remember before I was born, Adelaide answered teasingly. Well, if you don't know about anything but what has happened since you were born, you don't know much, Laura retorted with spirit. But I'll go and ask Mammy. 
You shall know, for she was here before he was born. It was a lovely spring day, and from the windows of the breakfast room, they could see Aunt Maria, the old colored woman, who had been nursing the family ever since the birth of Mr. Dinsmore's eldest child, and whom they all called Nanny, walking about under the trees in the garden, with baby Anna in her arms, while Arthur and Walter gambled together on the grass nearby. Kai Chillens, what's the matter? she exclaimed, pausing in her walk, as the three little girls came bounding toward her in almost breathless excitement. Oh, Mammy, they cried, all speaking at once. Did you know that Brother Horace was married and have a baby girl and that Papa's bringing her home to live? Kai Chillens, what's you talking about? returned the old woman incredulously. You was trying to fool your old Mammy. No, no indeed, Mammy. It's also Mom has just been telling us. And they went on to repeat substantially what they had just learned from their mother. Aunt Maria was an intensely interested and astonished listener, and they had several others before their story was finished. Arthur and Walter came running up to ask what it was all about, and two or three servants also joined the little group. "'You looked pleased, Mammy. Are you really?' asked Adelaide. "'To be sure I is, child,' returned the old nurse, with a broad grin of satisfaction. "'Marsa Horace are born of my chillins, and I'll be mighty glad to see his little child.' The news spread rapidly among the servants, and formed their principal topic of conversation, from that time till the arrival of their master and his young charge. On leaving the breakfast room, Mrs. Dinsmore bent her steps toward the nursery. She found it untenanted except by a housemaid, who was engaged in putting it in order for the day. "'Go and tell Mrs. Brown that I wish to speak to her immediately,' commanded the mistress, dropping into an easy chair. "'Yes, missus,' and the girl disappeared, to return shortly, accompanied by the housekeeper. "'You've heard from Mr. Dinsmore?' remarked the lady inquiringly, addressing Mrs. Brown. Yes, ma'am. He writes that Mrs. Murray, the housekeeper at Via Mead, has consented to take my place for the coming year. Yes, I'm afraid she won't suit me as well. It's a great pity you have got such a notion in your head. I mean as to the necessity or desirability of going away. I don't think you'll find a healthier place anywhere else in Rosen. I've no fault to find with the place, ma'am, but I need rest, the doctor says, from the care and— Dr. Barton's full of notions, interrupted Mrs. Dinsmore impatiently. "'Well, you'll stay, I suppose, until this Mrs. Murray learns from you about the ways of the house?' "'Yes, ma'am, since you wish it.' Mrs. Dinsmore gave her orders for the day as usual, then said, "'There's another thing, Mrs. Brown. You've probably heard that Mr. Dinsmore is bringing a child with him.' "'Yes, ma'am. He mentioned it in his letter to me, saying that a room must be got ready for her and her nurse.' "'That is what I was coming to.' Mrs. Dinsmore arose and opened a door leading into an adjoining apartment. "'This room will answer very well.' Have the trunks and boxes carried to the attic, the floor, paint, and window washed, a single bedstead, washstand, bureau, and two or three chairs brought in, and put up a white muslin curtain to the window. But, ma'am, Mrs. Dinsmore, and Mrs. Brown looked almost aghast at her employer. Well, exclaimed the latter with sharpness, excuse me, ma'am, but isn't, I understood that the little lady was Mr. Dinsmore's granddaughter, and, and quite an heiress. Well, and supposing she is all that? beg pardon, Mrs. Dinsmore, but isn't the room rather small? Only one window, too, and I presume she's been used to. It makes no difference what she's been used to, and you are presuming too far. You will be good enough to see that my orders are carried out at once. And Mrs. Dinsmore was sweeping from the room in her most dignified style, but turned to the door to add, A cot bed can be put up here for the nurse, and the door left open between at night. Then sailed majestically down the hall. Dear, dear, whatever will Mr. Dinsmore say to having his granddaughter put into such a hole as that, exclaimed the housekeeper, half to herself and half to the housemaid. Well, it can't be helped. I'll just have to do the best I can and tell him twasn't my fault. Sally, do you go down and send up two of the boys to carry away these trunks, and tell Aunt Phoebe to heat up a kettle of soft water for the scrubbing. 
Mrs. Brown did her best, had the room thoroughly cleaned, neatly papered and carpeted, a set of pretty cottage furniture carried in, put a lace curtain to the window, looped it back with pink ribbon, made up the bed in the daintiest fashion, and on the day the travelers were expected to arrive, decorated the small apartment profusely, with the loveliest and most fragrant flowers that could be found, transforming it into a bower of beauty. Mrs. Dinsmore paid no attention to her proceedings, but the children watched them with interest, wondering the while that so mean a room had been selected for their little niece. They were quite amused and gratified with the idea of being aunts and uncles, and if left to themselves, would have been disposed to welcome the little stranger warmly. But the slighting, sneering way in which their mother alluded to her, and her mother's family, presently impressed them with the idea that she was to be looked upon as an object of contempt, if not as a positive disgrace to the family. They reasoned among themselves, the older ones at least, that probably Horace thought so too, or he would have told them about her. But when they saw the carriage which was bringing her, their father, and Mildred from the city, actually rolling up the avenue, all this was forgotten, and they rushed to the door to meet them, filled with curiosity and delight. There was a tumultuous embracing of their father and cousin, then they turned to look at the child. What they saw was a small, fairy-like figure in the arms of a pleasant-looking, middle-aged colored woman, a delicate oval face, tinted with the loveliest shades of pink and white, framed in by a mass of golden ringlets, and lighted by a pair of eyes of the softest hazel, which were gazing half shyly, half eagerly at them. "'Oh, you darling, you pretty darling!' cried Adelaide, reaching her with a bound, and giving her a vigorous hug and kiss. "'Do you know that I'm your auntie? And don't you think it's funny?' The embrace was instantly returned, a beautiful smile breaking over the sweet little face, while the baby voice cooed, "'Yes, Elsie loves you!' "'Don't tease the child, Adelaide. Children, let her alone,' said Mrs. Dinsmore sharply. But no one seemed to hear or heed. Children and servants had gathered round in quite a little crowd, and were hugging and kissing and making much of her, examining her with as much curiosity as if she were a new specimen of the genus Homo, calling her Brother Horace's little girl, Massa Horace's baby, remarking upon the beauty of her complexion, her eyes, her hair, the pretty round white shoulders and arms, and the tiny shapely hands and feet. "'To have the baron fairly puffed up with vanity, Miss Mildred!' exclaimed Mrs. Murray, in a dismayed aside to our heroine. "'Never mind,' whispered Mildred joyously. "'I'm only too glad she should have such a welcome, the darling, and I don't believe it will hurt her in the least.' "'There are children, and the rest of you, that will do,' said Mr. Dinsmore with authority. "'The child is tired with her long journey. Carry her to her room, Aunt Chloe, and let her have something to eat and a nap.' Aunt Chloe obeyed. Mildred hurried after to see the child comfortably established, and then dress herself for dinner. Mrs. Brown invited Mrs. Murray to her new quarters, and Mr. Dinsmore, waiting only to give an order to his body-servant, hastened after the little girl and her attendant, following the sound of their voices, for the child was prattling to her mammy and Mildred, and they were answering her innocent questions and remarks. "'Dis my little missus's room?' Mr. Dinsmore heard Aunt Chloe exclaim, in a tone of astonishment and contempt, as the little party, guided by Sally, the housemaid, reached the door of the room selected by Mrs. Dinsmore. He hurried forward, "'What? This pigeonhole?' he exclaimed, turning wrathfully to the girl. "'Who bade you bring the young lady, Mr. Horace's daughter, here?' "'Mrs. told the housekeeper fix dis room for the little lady, Massa,' replied the girl, trembling with affright. "'Stupid! You must have misunderstood her,' he said. "'This way, Aunt Chloe.' The room to which he conducted them adjoined that appropriated to Mildred, and was equally large, airy, and cheerful, equally well furnished. Aunt Chloe surveyed it with a look of relief and satisfaction, and bidding her send Sally for whatever else was wanted for the child, Mr. Dinsmore left them and went down to his wife. 
She read displeasure in his countenance and drew out her handkerchief in preparation for her usual mode of defense. Pray, madam, he demanded in irate tone, by whose orders was that cubbyhole prepared for the use of horses, child? That very nice little room next to the nursery was the one selected by myself, she answered with dignity. Nice little room indeed, he returned with scorn. Ten feet by twelve, that for one born in a palace and reared thus far in the very lap of luxury. Plenty good enough and big enough for old Grayson's grandchild, observed the wife, turning up her aristocratic nose in supreme contempt. Madam, she is also my grandchild and heiress in her own right to over a million. Mrs. Dinsmore's look expressed first astonishment, then jealous rage and envy. And the very incarnation of beauty, she muttered between her clenched teeth. What did you bring her here for, to cast our children into the shade? I hate her. What have you been doing? Where have you put her? In the blue room. The blue room, one of the very best in the house. The blue satin damask cushions of the chairs and sofas are so handsome and delicate. And to think of the sun being let in to fade them, and a baby rubbing its shoes over them and scattering greasy crumbs on them, that exquisite carpet it's too trying for flesh and blood to stand and the handkerchief went up to her eyes it's not worth while to distress yourself he remarked coolly her income is quite sufficient to allow of its being refurnished at double the cost every six months if necessary you ought to be ashamed of yourself mr dinsmore throwing up her wealth to me in that style sobbed the much tried and very ill-used woman little elsie was brought down to the drawing room after tea mildred leading her in while aunt chloe followed bearing a pasteboard box Fresh pangs of envy and jealousy assailed Mrs. Dinsmore at sight of the little fair one, now rested and refreshed, beautifully and tastefully attired, and looking even more bewitchingly lovely than on her arrival. Returning to her grandfather, she asked coaxingly, Please, Grandpa, may Elsie dip the things now? As well now as any time, he said, not unkindly, and she ran back to Mildred, who had taken the box from Aunt Chloe, and now opened and held it so that the child could handle the contents. This is the one for Anna's mamma. Mildred whispered, pointing to a jewel case. I would give it first. The small white hand seized it. The soft brown eyes glanced about the room till they rested upon the figure of a richly dressed lady in an easy chair. Then the little twinkling feet tripped across, and with a shy look up into the not-too-pleasant face, the case was laid in her lap, the baby voice lisping sweetly. Please, Anna's mamma, Elsie wants to give you this. Mrs. Dinsmore started with surprise, opened the case hastily, and seen a very handsome gold bracelet lying there condescended to smile and murmur a few words of thanks but the little one had not waited for them back to mildred she ran in eager haste to finish the work of presenting her love tokens to these new-found relatives a handsome gold ring to each of the three little girls received with kisses thanks and exclamations of delight and toys for the others which seemed to give equal satisfaction end of chapter twenty five recording by amy